I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Good morning and welcome to a True Blue LA and Amazing Avenue crossover. Uh, with me is Brian Salvatore from uh, Amazing Avenue, and I'm Eric Steven uh, for True Blue LA. We are going to preview uh, one of the more exciting series uh, in, this, in the regular season, I think, this year. It's the two best teams in the National League, the Dodgers and Mets. They're playing three games in New York, and uh, Brian, how are you? I am doing well. I am still riding that old-timers day high from yesterday. We're recording this Sunday morning, and Mets had their first old-timers day in 29 years on Saturday. So I am still riding that high, and we'll talk about that later in the broadcast. So uh, uh, as a quick transition from that, how how many – I guess you never know with old-timers day who's going to show up, but like, how, how many current Mets do you think will, would, show, would be at like future old-timers game? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I don't think DeGrom will. DeGrom is like a very quiet, personal guy. I don't know if he would be. Uh, Maybe Scherzer. Scherzer seems like he'd have fun with it. I mean, Pedro Martinez came out riding an invisible horse yesterday, like doing (laughs) the the cowboy thing. So, like, you know, I don't think Scherzer's going to be doing that or anything. But, you know, uh, I I could definitely see Alonzo, Nimmo, McNeil, and uh, maybe – I think Daniel Vogelback is a future Mets old timers day legend. I think that guy's going to hit like a bomb when he's 50 years old, you know? Uh, Yeah. I I was thinking about this too, for like for the Dodgers. So, you know, Mookie Betts signed a 12 year deal. So he, 
you figure at, at a certain point he's going to be back at yep. some point. Mm-hmm. At the, so the, the the I guess the odd one. So Freddie Freeman, obviously first year, it's hard to gauge, but you know he he would probably be back. And then Trey Turner now is the the sort of wild card now. Is this? Are we going to look back at his career and say this is his transition, his year and a half with the Dodgers in between Nationals and whatever team he signs with, or if, like if the Dodgers resign him, obviously then that would be he he would it would sort of they'd sign him to a contract and future old timers games or something like that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, and then there's a, there's a lot, but yeah, you never know. Like it, it's just good to see uh, a lot. Of, like I don't know. We I guess. I guess it it also depends if they win, right? Like, so the, the Dodgers, like, yeah. he, like they, a couple of years back, it was, or was it? I don't remember what anniversary it was. Maybe it was twenty, uh, yeah, maybe it was twenty sixteen or something. It was some like the thirty fifth anniversary of the eighty one team, and they brought out some like players I I forgot played for the eighty one team, and you're like, but, but that's cool, like you know, absolutely, yeah, like you know, you know, you never know, but uh, we're. Let, before we get into old timer stuff, um, the the young timers, the the current <laughs> the current guys are, are really good, uh, both Dodgers and Mets. This seems like a very uh, fun matchup. It, it's a it's a weird matchup because you know they played back in June. Um, there was no Kershaw that series, no Degrom, no Scherzer. I, I don't remember Scherzer specifically. Was he on the injured list then as well? Uh, he either was about to go on it or was already on it. Like it was, I can't remember exactly when that series fell in June, but he hit the IL not long after that. If he wasn't already on there. Yeah. So Scherzer's pitching Sunday, uh, for the Mets. So he's, he's not going to be in the series, but the, we will have DeGrom, uh, who by the way, I am just terrified of. He's, he just <laughs> seems like a, 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 a killing robot machine. Like, yes, he and, is, uh, he is just, the T 1000 from Terminator two, essentially in pitching form. I was like, so I was looking just at his, you know, he's pitched what five starts since coming mm-hmm. back. And it's like, uh, when like pitching ninja does the overlays and stuff, you're like, how is, how is like a, 99 mile an hour ball moving like that like shouldn't be possible and he but he has like and, what? And, and how is a 92 mile per hour slider even humanly possible yeah you know? yeah 46 strikeouts and two walks that that's like that's insane and mm-hmm. uh the weird thing is like obviously not at the same level at this moment but the series might have clayton kershaw um so kershaw is currently on the injury list for the second time this year it's lower back this time Earlier, it was what is it the the right SI joint, which is I guess in between the hip and the in the back, but it's, mm-hmm. it's all like the same rough area. Kershaw's had back trouble like going back like six years or eight seven years or something, um, but he he's been out about three weeks. He pitched a simulated game Saturday in Miami. Uh, both he and Dave Roberts told reporters uh, it's going to be Thursday or Friday. Kershaw said he knows which day he's going. Uh, so does Dave Roberts, but neither one will say yet. So if it's Thursday, it's obviously in New York. He, Kershaw's on the trip with them, so it's not like a, he has to like join them or something. And then if it's not, it's Friday when they're back home. I, my gut says it's going to be Thursday, if only because I think the, so. The Dodgers are going to go to like a six-man rotation once he's back, since it's it's September and they got like a very comfortable lead. I think they're just going to stretch everyone out. But so Dustin May is lined up with Kershaw, so he pitched Saturday. He's only two starts back from Tommy John surgery. 
He's looked really well. He did pitch six innings on Saturday. I think that would be a situation where they want to give him an extra day of rest. So my mm-hmm. guess, even though it's not announced yet, is that Kershaw will pitch Thursday, which would be an awesome little getaway day thing. Yeah, he'll miss DeGrom by a day, but that would have been a very cool oh, man. DeGrom versus Kershaw you know, matchup. You, you know what I was shocked about? Because I was looking up something about DeGrom just the other day, is mm-hmm. that they're only, um, I think, three months apart in age. Yes, but DeGrom uh, came up so so old that it yeah, seems exactly. like he's been playing for so little. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those weird things where, like, you don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. Obviously, DeGrom is better now, like, by a mile, right? He's easily the best, like, arm we got going. But um, you don't know, like, his, you know, career numbers are what they are. But, like, is it good now that he doesn't have the wear and tear on his arm that, like, most pitchers do? Although he's had an injury history. So, like, it's one of those, like, you just – you don't know – I guess you just take them when you can get them at this point, right? Like, right. Well, I, I'm not sure how, you know, for the True Blue LA listeners out there, I don't know how aware you folks are of the fact that DeGrom was an infielder through college. Like, that, that's something mm. they mention all the time on Mets broadcasts is that DeGrom did not really start pitching until he was in the Mets system. Wow. And so there aren't a lot of, quote, uh, you know, there's not a lot of wear and tear on his arm because, you know, you figure if, uh, if a guy comes up as a pitcher, from the time he's at least 15 or 16 – He's throwing curveballs and fastballs and just giving his arm trouble. DeGrom didn't do that until he was 22 or whatever it was, however old he was when he got into the system, you know. So he was, there is just far less wear and tear on the arm. However, I also wonder if because of that, his arm just isn't as accustomed to the rigors of professional pitching as, you know, other folks would, other folks of similar age and experience would be. Because of that. Yeah, it's like the old uh, like Nolan Ryan days and, and guys like that where they they would literally throw every day, you know, growing up and right. all that kind of stuff. So you just sort of build it up. Who who knows? That that's the other thing. Like we you know we live in an age where, um, you know, I guess five man rotations have been going on for like forty years probably at this right. point. And then there's also been like pitch count stuff. But like pitching injuries are still around. Like it's like really no one right, really right. knows. Who who knows? But like I don't know. It's 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 kind of crazy. Uh, speaking of transitions uh, from uh, position player to pitching, Tony Gonsolin is that for the Dodgers? He was mostly an outfielder uh, at St. Mary's College, where he was teammates with Corbin Burns, which is crazy. And um, uh, he pitched a little bit, like on a whim, because the team was like just depleted uh, in college, and then sort of went full-time into pitching once he got into the Dodgers system. And he's sort of the same way, like a little bit of a late bloomer. Obviously, he's having a breakout year, but he's uh, he's pitching the Monday game uh, in uh, Miami. Mm-hmm. So he'll, he will also miss the Mets series. But a lot, a lot of uh, – it turns out uh, the team – both of these teams have a lot of good players. <laughs> yeah. Now, I want to ask you about your about your fear of DeGrom. Yes. Like, um, obviously, he is not – I think he pitched 95 pitches – in his not his last start, but the start right before that. So you know he's he's um, he's not fully back at you know full strength from his coming back from injury yet. Um, do you think that the Dodgers are just a team that are the Dodgers? Are, the offense of the Dodgers is very impressive. Are they a team that will be perp, that will be particularly uh, damaged by his repertoire? Like are they 
uh, you know, can they hit sliders? Are they good fastball pitchers? Like, well, you know, it, how do you think that he lines up against the Dodgers in terms of their um, you know, th- their natural talents? I will say they are well. They're like incredibly patient. Um, I don't know. Like, I guess they go through phases, right? Like, I don't know specifically like pitch type how they're gonna um, handle him, but like. I, I don't is Sandy Alcantara like the closest in like pitch mix to Degrom just given what what he probably throws? yeah like, yeah so, and we saw how that happened how that went last night so but but also like last week they've they've faced him twice the Alcantara in the last two weekends because the Dodgers have this weird had this weird schedule where they didn't play the Mets and the or I'm sorry the uh, Brewers and the Marlins until August and then they played both of them uh, get, got all of it out of the way in a two week span <laughs> so uh, <laughs> they actually torched Alcantara last weekend at Dodger Stadium oh, okay. which was a which was a surprise but I think you know you don't expect that to happen I I just think it's it's more the but also Degrom is such he he's like when Kershaw was in his peak where he just stopped walking people and it was like yes you so. You, you, they can't like wait for like him to just start missing, right? And so they're gonna fall if they do that. They'll like be behind like O two like a lot, and then that's gonna <laughs> right. be a problem. But I, yeah, I just I don't know. Like uh, I, I guess the the it's it's less worrisome, like you mentioned, that he he's still sort of early in his in his sort of comeback to where you know he's like maybe what is he like? He's probably a six inning pitcher at this point, maybe seven, I guess if if things yeah, break right. Did. Sounds about right. But I yeah. think like everyone's kind of like that, the way that that pitchers are used now. So like it's <laughs> That's not true. Also, yes, yeah. But then, yeah, I don't know. Like it's it's just he just seems like the top of the game. The other thing that I just started laughing because uh, I think his FIP is like one hundred eight, um, something like which, that, like, yeah. which shouldn't be possible. Like again, it's only five <laughs> starts, but it was like in the ones like uh, before he got hurt last year and, and all that stuff. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, just... Before he got hurt last year, and you know, I. I'm 40 years old and watching baseball most of my life. Yep. I had never seen a pitcher as dominant as DeGrom for half a season as he was last year. And I know that as a as a fan, when it's your team's guy doing it, I feel like you give it both too much and not enough credit. Like, on one hand, you sort yeah. of write off the fandom, right? Like, oh, this is just because I'm a huge Mets fan. That's why I'm thinking this is so incredible. Um, but on the other hand, I feel like you are uh, – you just you're watching. You're thinking, like, I, this is unbelievable, and so I, I I don't know if he'll ever get to that level again. But he's not that far off from it right now. Yeah. So you're I'm a, I'm about six years older than you, and so I wonder, did, were you able to appreciate like um, young Dwight Gooden? Not really. Uh, no. Um, I was four in '86. So yeah, you know, okay. I, I I I don't really. I remember like I went my first Mets game I ever went to was in '89. And Doc pitched, and it was it was. I mean, he was great, but I just I wasn't watching every day. I wasn't um, I wasn't a, a, a tuned in enough fan. But you yeah, know, he, I have I, I have friends who compare Gooden's eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven to you know to what uh, Degrom has done. So he, um, I guess he he definitely. I, I growing up like I had never seen obviously never seen Koufax except like just hearing stories about him. And it mm-hmm. wasn't like it was. I guess it was harder to find like video of Kofax back then, you know. Yes. Um, but like, um, if you, he was the best pitcher I ever saw. Like, 
And I, I think since then, you know, like Pedro Martinez has passed him. I think DeGrom is at a level now where it's like better than him. I guess the only hiccup on DeGrom is that, and it's not really much of a hiccup because he has the, the two Cy Young years that were full years. But like, um, but then like if you look at Gooden, his, his um, he was he was good for a bit, but then like he, he was sort of spotty in terms of like obviously he had yeah. the, the drug stuff and everything. But like, it, I guess everyone has like a small window, right? Where they're great. It's just, you just have to sort of appreciate it for what it is. But I, yeah, I, I thought he growing up, he was like the standard, like that. I never thought I would see anything like that again, but it seems like, you know, I guess it, it just happens every once in a while. Yeah. And you know, it's, uh, what's incredible is that DeGrom has established himself and we'll talk about the Dodgers. I swear, this isn't going to be the, drug, no, the DeGrom yeah, cast the whole sure. time. Um, but like I, uh, that the, the fact that DeGrom has distinguished himself, so fully in a in an organization that had Tom Seaver, Doc Gooden, um, you know, I mean, the, the the team has been built on pitching for almost the entirety of his exi- of its existence, and the fact that Degrom is standing out among those legends is incredible. You know, um, it's just yeah, yeah, it's really remarkable. Yeah, that's wild. Like you, you like you mentioned with with Kofax with the Dodgers, it's the same thing. Where I know I know a lot of like older folks I think aren't ready to say this. I just looking, I guess at the number and I, I'm sure I'm biased because I didn't watch Kofax, but like I think Kofax or Kershaw is better than Kofax, but that they're at least in the same ballpark is wild because yes, <laughs> like, you know, that, that they were both so good. So yeah, it's just weird. Um, the, oh, the other thing about Dwight Gooden, I was going to mention, and since you mentioned your, your first game, you can remember, I'm certain I went to games earlier. I just have no memory of them, like, you know, five and six and that kind of stuff. But the mm-hmm. first game I remember, I was nine. Um, it was 1985. It was Sock Day, and it was Dodgers-Mets okay. at Dodger Stadium. Oh, wow. um, uh, the Dodgers won on, uh, I remember Jose Gonzalez pinch ran in the ninth. Mike Marshall singled him home. Um, my brother, Greg, we stopped at uh, Tommy's for, I guess, chili burgers uh, on the way in, and he had a can of Coke. Um, and I, I don't know how this exactly happened if a bee was just laying in wait, but, uh, like the whole way <laughs> from Tommy's to Dodger stadium, cause we didn't eat till we got to Dodger stadium or maybe he was just finishing the Coke as we were walking in, but he went to take a drink of the Coke and a bee stung him in the lip. And, uh, we, we still laugh about that to this day. Uh, so that, that was great. But so, but that series was wild because, so we saw that was Saturday, um, September 7th, 1985, the night before was Dwight Gooden versus Fernando Valenzuela. This is, and this is oh. like, you know, peak, peak Fernando. So like, um, uh, so Gooden nine scoreless with 10 strikeouts, Fernando 11 scoreless. <laughs> and then it, the, the Mets, the Mets ended up winning in the, in the 12th against Tom Needham fewer, but like just, just an insane pitching matchup. You're never going to see like today, but, uh, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, I was looking another thing, I guess, about, about this, this year's teams. Uh, I think one way in that they're similar. Um, they're the two like deepest offenses in the national league and, and like maybe the majors, uh, I, the Dodgers are more top heavy, obviously like Mookie Betts, Trey Turner and Freeman have, they've been basically one, two, three outside of a, a Mookie, Mookie Betts IL stint. It's been like every day they've been nuts, but like, uh, the Mets have more players with a 120 OPS plus than the Dodgers, six to five, but nobody else has more than four. Um, yeah. And it just seems like 
like going back to like the last few years when the Dodgers have been really good is they've sort of the you the usual path is like you just try to get as many good players as you can and avoid having like automatic outs. <laughs> Uh, right. And it, so it makes the lineup that much longer. But like, I say that, but then also this year, like Max Muncy was basically terrible through July and they kept playing him every day. And he was coming off of an elbow injury. He also lost his swing a little bit, but he's found it in August. He's been like better than normal Max Muncy in August. So he's kind of back. Cody Bellinger kind of looks lost. He's not, he's not coming off injury this year. He was injured last year. But he starts most of the time because he's really good in center. So uh, who who knows? But like, so maybe that is uh, like I guess they're good enough to overcome that at this point. But I think that's like, that's sort of where the the Mets, at least from afar, it seems like they could have like a few you know bad players. But the, they have enough depth around it to like sort of account for that kind of stuff. So it seems like that's why they're good. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I would say right now one through seven in the lineup most days is relatively formidable you know uh mark canna has really come on the last month or so um in terms of his power he was he was he was like an on base and uh you know singles machine for the first few months of the season but then about a month ago he just widened his stance a little bit and he said it was helping him see the ball a little bit better and he has something like 12 or 13 extra base hits in his last 12 games now like huh. he's just he, he you know he's just He's just having this he's on this tear, and uh, he's batting seventh most days, and so that's you know that's a really nice thing to have. However, I will say that the Mets catching situation could not hit their way out of a paper bag at the moment uh, or all season. James McCann has been one of the worst free agent signings the Mets have done, and the Mets have had a doozy. I mean, the Mets signed Mo Vaughn in two thousand two, right? So like sure. the the Mets have had a lot of bad free agent signings, but um, maybe their worst ever catching signing is James McCann. And then their their backup Tomas Nito is a fine backup catcher, but he's sort of become the everyday catcher because McCann's been so bad, and he's just not an everyday catcher. What is extra frustrating about this is that their top prospect, uh, and what some would say is the top prospect in baseball, Francisco Alvarez, is a catcher and is sitting in Syracuse, not playing for the Mets right now. Yeah, and, that's um, got to be frustrating. Yeah, you know. So uh, I think if if they were to bring up him, I think then then you have an even deeper lineup, but, and maybe that'll happen in uh, September a little bit, but I, I, I just think the Mets are being extra cautious with him, which I get like, you know, that's, he's a valuable prospect at a valuable position. I understand all of that, but, but yeah, I mean, the Dodgers lineup is nice and deep. The Mets lineup is nice and deep. I would say the Dodgers have the edge over the Mets in terms of bullpen. Uh, Cause the Mets bullpen is, has not been a strength this season uh, really at all. Um, but I'd say other than that, Maybe I give the Mets a slight nod for starting pitching because of the injuries that the Dodgers have had to their starting sure. staff, but I think the teams are pretty well matched for this yeah. for this series. Yeah, and that, that's that's what it felt like back in May, like or, or June, I guess, when they played. That was mm -hmm. a two-two series, and but it just felt like it just seemed like both teams are really good, right? Like where it, it could go kind of either way, like yeah. And so I, I don't know. It just it just felt even back then it felt like you were you were watching like two very good teams. So like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah someone, I, mean, I, I agree. Go ahead. No, I was going to say someone in our comments, I don't remember exactly how he put it, but he, uh, after, I don't remember if it was after the end of the series or maybe just after one of the games, but he goes, 
these Mets are all right. Like, cause you know, I guess from afar, right. Like un, before Steve Cohen came along there, it was obviously a lot of like LOL Mets stuff. And, but like, yes. and that's, it could be lazy in a way, but like, it, but it felt like that, that cloud had been lifted at least. And not that you could tell from just watching a series, but you're like, okay, this team's actually good. Like they're, you know, like, I don't know. It just seemed that way. I, it's funny. We have had like three different times where my podcast co-host Chris Machan and I have yep. said like, "All right, this is it. This is the end of LOL, LOL Mets. Like, this is the moment, right?" And we we were texting this morning, and he basically said, "All right, I think for real, yesterday was the end of LOL Mets. I think like you know, this old timer's day, the retirement oh. of Willie Mays' number. We got all that. Like that that signals like the franchise is run by competent people now. LOL Mets is over." I thought you were going to say maybe, but I, you're right about the old timers name, but also the, the and and speaking of Mark Canna, that uh, wild game against the Phillies was that a week ago or like that was a, Sunday, a week ago Sunday, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that could be up there too. But yeah, yeah so I, I was guess, re- I was recapping that game and it was it was a wild ride. Oh, yeah. I mean that's that's one weird thing where you're like, on one hand you want to have your recap done, but you're also yes. like, well, I mean, but they're down like. It, it wouldn't be the worst if I had to rewrite write this at the moment or something. I don't know. It's just one of those you're, I don't you're know sort of trading. Yeah. I don't know how it started, but uh, so, someone on the Amazing Avenue Slack had posted this GIF. I think it's from the show Avatar The Last Airbender. I don't know. I've never seen whatever show it is, but it's of a guy having his cart of cabbages upended. And he says, oh, no, my cabbages. <laughs> and so we call it getting cabbaged when you have to rewrite your <laughs> recap. Like when you think you have the recap written and then something happens and you get cabbaged and you have to uh, – rewrite it so yeah i i never mind getting cabbage in a good way but you know that game was just so nuts but again there have been a number of things like that where the mets just they're they're a team built on depth you know for for so many years the mets idea of pitching depth was having five starting pitchers yeah whereas you know no more yeah no that's it you know that's all you need and the mets have used 10 starting pitchers this year and aside from two outings everyone the mets have called up to pitch has been, you know, solid, if not if not spectacular, but solid for them. And that's to me, that's all you want. If you're calling up somebody from AAA to make a spot start, all you want is for them to keep the team in the game. You're not looking for a, a no-hit situation. You're just looking for a team uh, you're just looking to give the team a chance, right? And, and they've they've done that this season. That the team is is reasonably deep in a lot of different areas. However, um because there were so many injuries for a while, their pitching staff Specifically, their bullpen is not as deep as, as you know I would like it to be, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, th- this year is similar for the Dodgers in that regard on starting because they they they're normally I think they normally plan for like uh, having a lot of starters. Like Tyler Anderson was like signed uh, as a starter, but didn't have a spot in the rotation to start the season. And at the moment, he leads the team in innings, <laughs> and he's and he's like <laughs> seventh in ERA or something, which is wild. But um. But you know they lost Bueller. They've lost Kershaw for two different IL stints. But they've they've really only they've 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 used ten starting pitchers. But only one of those was um, uh, a, a prospect from Double A, Michael Grove. Uh, he was already on the forty man, so that sort of played into that a little bit. And it was one of those mm-hmm. like just do whatever you can. He pitched like into the fourth or whatever, and it was and right. that was like the only one of those games like this year for the most part, which is. Even with the injuries, that you, you you're almost like knocking on wood because that's that's really hard to go. Like last year, they they were basically a three man rotation after the break for a while, and and mm-hmm. like just did a ton of bullpen games. And also, their the 
option rules were relaxed and I mean, they just didn't exist where there's no limits. So they were, they were like calling up guys every single day. Um, so it's just, it's just kind of wild. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's always tough. You know, I, I don't want to, I, I always say like, you know, the guys that are playing in AAA, they're probably, you know, so many good prospects now skip AAA or only in AAA for a very short amount of time. So if you're, if you're a pitcher in AAA, that means that you are probably, you know, you're not going to be a superstar necessarily. You're a guy who grinds it out. I always feel for those guys who are called up for a day and then like DFA because they're not on the 40 man or, you know, set right back down. Th- th- those guys, those are the real heroes of baseball to me. Like those are those are the guys that are the grist in the mill of a, of a, of a team's winning season. And, uh, you know, it, it's been nice to see the Mets not have to lose too many of those guys this year, although they have lost a couple because the 40-man roster construction is always very tight. Yeah. Uh, well, we've, we've talked a lot about Dodgers-Mets. We've we, we got some more stuff to get into, but let's do so uh, after the break. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Hey there, Allison McCaig here from A Pod of Their Own, an all-women-led podcast from Amazing Avenue, the Mets SB Nation community. I'm here to tell you about Dollars for Dingers, our annual fundraising event. Every year, we ask our listeners to pledge a certain dollar amount for every Mets home run hit during the month of September to benefit a charity we really care about, the National Domestic Violence Hotline. But you don't have to be a Mets fan to join in on the fun. You can make a pledge for your own team or your own favorite player. You can make a pledge by visiting bit.ly slash D4D22 and then clicking the link to our Google spreadsheet. We are also having an in-person raffle event at Ebb's Brewery at City Field on September 17th at 4 p.m. prior to the Mets game against the Pirates. We will have a ton of awesome prizes to raffle off with all proceeds benefiting the National Domestic Violence Hotline. We hope to see you all there. To date, we have raised over $25,000 for the National Domestic Violence Hotline through Dollars for Dingers. And we hope to make this year the most successful year yet. So get your pledges in and let's hit some dingers. So one cool thing about this uh, series I wanted to mention, it's nothing to do with baseball at all, but uh, have you seen the the viral video of Edwin Diaz's entrance? Yes, I don't. I don't remember if I came into it late uh, or if, if this is not, has it been happening all season? Uh, it's happened for a couple of years now, but this is it, it's okay. been it went viral like a month ago, let's say. Yeah. So I was probably not right at the start of that month, but like maybe like within the second week I was like, and then I saw it and I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> like it's so, so cool. So yeah. on Tuesday, Timmy trumpet who plays the trumpet on that song is going to be there and said he would play out uh, Diaz if he gets brought in for the save. 
So I, this is one of those situations where I absolutely need this to happen. Like <laughs> regardless of what team you're rooting for, the I, Edwin Diaz has to pitch in a save situation uh, in that game. Uh, like, so just, just to hear that. Cause that, that sounds like it would be incredible. Like just to, yes. it, it's already incredible as it is just playing the song, but to have that and then like, Oh, the live trumpet happens. Like that would be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I want to, sh- I try and shout it out all the time. Uh, I don't know if anybody listening on the Dodgers side here ever watches the Mets broadcast, but the Mets have a, an amazing booth of Gary Cohen, Keith Hernandez, and Ron Darling. And also the SNY production is just really, really good. They, they're one of the best in baseball. Yeah. They, I, I watch them quite a bit. Um, mostly like they, it helps that they're usually on, you know, the full, like the, the window before like the Dodgers are on, which is, which is mm-hmm. good. But like, yeah, great broadcast, production-wise, great booth. I will say, it, I don't know if it's just in our comments or my mentions, but I think it's most mostly just for national work. But everyone, there, there's more of a hate for uh, Ron Darling because he does TBS stuff, and yes, like agreed. But, but like people are dumb about that in a way. <laughs> like they they just assume he hates their team because of like some random thing. Like I don't know. It, the, but like. He's he's definitely more in his element on the Mets games, and I think, ha- and especially when it's when it's him, Keith Hernandez, and and Gary Cohen, that that trio is like amazing together. Like you could tell they have awesome rapport, and it just works really really well. So uh, they started doing this in a couple of seasons ago. They they have a camera on them all the time. Uh, it's not always shown on the broadcast, but after the after a game, if the Mets win. They tweet out the moment of the game and they show the booth cam. Uh, and um, the, the other night when the Mets won uh, in the uh, Friday night, they won a walk off with uh, Pete Alonso single. They showed the booth cam and Ron Darling taps Keith Hernandez on the shoulder, and they both at the same time do a slider hand motion because they they were saying he hit he, it was a slider that he got hit. But they have this like silent communication that's happening that you don't see, and when you watch it, it's just you see that these guys just really know what they're like. They're just, yeah. they're locked into one another. You know, it's, it's great to see. That always fascinates me. Like, I mean, I, I've watched baseball my whole life, but I am just terrible at pitch recognition. Like, Same. <laughs> it's okay. That's probably a fastball. Anything outside of a fastball. <laughs> right. No yeah. idea. Absolutely. Yeah. No idea. But like, just, just the be, just to be able to do that in itself. But like you, so you think like 86 Mets, everyone's like, Oh, well, party team and cocaine and, and all yeah, this stuff. Yeah. But no, no, they, they, they were much more than that. You could tell that, that kind of a like, like weird bond of like having played together and you could, it's like a silent, uh, a, like a silent um, connection they have. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, and Ron Darling went to Yale, like, you know, he's a smart right. dude. Like, you know, the, the these, they're a very smart booth, but yeah. Uh, so I think we can all hope for Timmy Trumpet on Tuesday night, you know, just, uh, I, I want to see it like that. That's, it's too good to to miss like and the fact that i mean they i saw the like they put out a press release right like timmy trump yeah. going to be there and i'm like but is he doing anything like like they does it shouldn't he also play like pregame just to be like hey it's timmy trumpet or i believe he like will he, he also throwing out the first pitch okay that's good uh, yeah so at least he's doing something there you know yeah because <laughs> it would be it would be a shame to not to to, to like waste his his talents uh well yeah I, I, I'm the pretty national sure anthem, the, right? Like or something uh, like maybe that. Maybe he'll do that. That that'll be kind of uh, cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I am pretty sure the Mets are doing whatever they can to get him for the playoffs. Ooh. Like they, they need to pay him. And Steve Cohen has the money. Like put sure. that dude on retainer for every home game in the playoffs because that will be electric. That's like it, it's 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 totally different situation, but it reminds me of I think it was with the 05 White Sox. I know other teams have have used this, but they were um, very into "Don't Stop Believing," uh, yes. and to, got to the point where they would just have. Steve Perry at like every game and he didn't even like sing it but he was just in the stands and they'd show him and he's like totally into it and I'm like okay that's kind of cool like yeah uh, the Dodgers weirdly um this was under the McCourt ownership um uh they had I don't remember the exact years of this but they I, this was probably like 0708 they they were weirdly into don't stop believing as well like anytime they were down late they like in the 8th inning or 7th and they had a guy, and it, it pains me that I remember his name. It was like a, um, a local actor, right? And his name was Jameson Moss. And he would just, like, get on the dugout and air guitar to Don't Stop Believing. And that was his thing. And it got to a point where I guess eventually there was a rift between him and the organization because, like, in terms of, like, them, like, not giving him like the right tickets or something like, I, I don't know how everything with McCourt like flamed out. So like, but w what a bizarre like window into time that was where that was a thing that people looked forward to every game. And I don't know. It was very, was weird. that, was that right after the Sopranos used it in the finale? Oh. Is that why that song like came back into the public consciousness? That's a good question. I don't remember the timing of the Sopranos. Was that, that was like Oh seven or Oh eight. I think was when it ended. Was that when it ended? Oh, yeah. yeah, because I was still – so I lived in San Diego until I think I moved before the 09 season. And I, I, I'm certain I was at my San Diego apartment watching that. And like a lot of people thinking their cable died. Yes. <laughs> June 10th, 2007 was the, wow. uh, wow. the finale. So, yeah. Yeah, so it was right around, it was right around that time. I, I want to say 08 was probably the, the Dodgers' heyday of it. So maybe, maybe it was. Uh, <laughs> what a bizarre time that was. Yeah. Um, you, so you mentioned earlier uh, Daniel Vogelbach, who was uh, mid-season acquisition and sort of, you know, I guess unheralded is probably the wrong word, but like under the radar, probably, maybe. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. Tr Trace Thompson was that for the Dodgers. Are they the same? <laughs> like, they're not the same, like, you know, <laughs> in, in like physically or anything, but like they seem like they seem like they're doing the same. Uh, they're just like this unheralded out of nowhere person who's like basically a middle of the order type hitter when he plays at this point. Yeah. Uh, I think that's actually a really nice comparison. Uh, you know, I, I think people got overly excited about the prospect of the Mets trading for like soda, which was never going to happen or, you know, or yeah. acquiring some sort of huge bat. And so when the three bats they brought in were Daniel Vogelback, uh, Darren Ruff and Tyler Naquin, Everybody felt like, oh, well, that's a big disappointment. Whereas I, I think that Vogelbach and Naquin have been every bit as much as the optimist would have said. Like I, they, they've been at almost the highest, like their high, highest potential has been reached as a Met thus far. You know, Darren Ruff has has played less than the other two, so I think he's he's been less than than you know either of those other guys have. But I think those that's a fair acquisition. That's a fair um, sort of assessment of the acquisitions. You know, Vogelbach has just mashed righties which is what the Mets brought him in to do 
And it seems like I mean I you know I don't watch enough Dodgers games because I'm usually I'm going to bed about the time that they are uh, yeah. you know getting into the third or fourth inning. But Thompson seems to be doing a similar role where when he's playing, he is just you know I think it's I, I was looking him up before. I want to say he has something like a uh, he, 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 is it like a 700 slugging percentage over the last month something like that. He just, uh, just Trace Thompson the ball. yeah yeah so he, he homered again on Sunday uh, at his his WRC plus with the Dodgers I don't have it in front of me but it's like it's basically like 165 <laughs> wow <laughs> and, and he doesn't he's not playing every day like he he's playing some but he he's a good defender like at a minimum even if he's just like you know roughly league average that's a valuable person to have like who can absolutely sort of play all around but yeah they were in a spot in June where Mookie Betts had a uh, a broken rib uh, in a collision with Cody Bellinger, um, which it didn't seem like much at the time, but you never know, like that sort of a thing. And then it was weird because last year Cody Bellinger broke a rib in a collision with Gavin Lux, but that was Gavin Lux's fault because it was like his third professional game in the outfield or something. And uh, <laughs> so like nobody knew how to do anything. But so and then also Chris Taylor broke his foot um, right around that time. So they were the Dodgers were hurting where. They started Eddie Alvarez, the the two time Olympic medalist, uh, who is an infielder, and uh, they put him in right field for the first time ever for a few games. And they're like, you know what, this we we absolutely have to get an outfielder. So they were they were sort of hurting, and he was going to opt out. Trace Thompson was going to opt out of his con- minor league deal with the Tigers. So they they you know they were familiar with him. They had him in. He was pretty good for them in like 2016, but then he hurt his back and he like a year and a half of trying to get that back and it just never worked. But so they, they got him basically for free with cash considerations. I'm not sure exactly what went in the deal, but like, yeah, like the, it, the we talked about depth earlier at that point where the Dodgers were like trotting out Eddie Alvarez for a few games and right. And you're like, it was flashbacks to last season because they, they tried to go with a younger bench at the start of the season none of those players really worked out they ended up getting pool holes and who thrived in like a limited role not as well as he's doing this year obviously but right um they ended up having like steven souza jr bat like nine times in the playoffs last year for them andy burns batted in the playoffs for them like um oh man billy mckinney batted in the playoffs mm-hmm. so so like this this year um, like Trace Thompson was uh, was a big part of that. Of like, there's been others, but like last year was a rough rough go for a, as good as the the team was. The 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 depth wasn't there this year. The depth has been there more so than in you know back to like previous years. And and Trace is probably the most like emblematic of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's a sign of of just a team that that is both aware of their needs and also not afraid to spend maybe a little bit more than they should have to address those needs. Yeah. Like, you know, um, Vogelbach was acquired for um, a reliever, and now the name is totally out of my head, and I should sure. have had this called up. But, of course, as soon as I have to talk about him, I, you wake me up at 2 in the morning this morning and ask me his name, and I'll give it to you right away. Um, but regardless, what I was saying is it, you know, it was, it was uh, um, Colin... It'll come to me. Anyway, <laughs> Mets fans were upset about the uh, about Colin Holderman. There it is. Uh, about giving up Holderman as a as a piece because he was a you know a sixth or seventh inning guy, and yeah. the team felt like, well, you know, you can find another sixth and seventh inning guy easier than you can find the long side of a platoon for DH, right? Yeah. So yeah. 
it's worth trading that guy. And that that's a, that seems like a move the, that the Wilpon era Mets would never have made. So it's very it was it's very very nice to have that. And again, it's not a superstar move. It's just addressing it's addressing your team's needs even at the fringes. Yeah. No, and that that's been like a key I would say going like under the Andrew Friedman led front office with the Dodgers absolutely like upgrading the fringes and everything like that's been as as key to their sort of success as anything like when they first started it was like in 2015 that was their first year and it's <laughs> they were doing like anytime they could do an incremental upgrade they would do it like claim a guy off waivers um maybe uh and then when another guy comes along claim him off waivers dfa the old guy if right. you lose him you lose him but sometimes they they clear waivers and you can keep them as depth and then you're just you just sort of keep cycling until you get a little bit better a little bit better i mean it took a while but like they i, I mean yeah it, that, that's that's one of those things where um yeah it's just something to like you sort of you, you find yourself more familiar with the the like the fringes of the roster than maybe you ever have been before. <laughs> right, exactly. Because yes. of all those moves. Uh, yeah. So the, you mentioned the the Mets pickups. The Dodgers had, a, I would say they had a weird trade deadline. Like obviously they were uh, in the mix for Juan Soto. And it, like, I don't, I didn't think it was that likely, at least now to get Juan Soto. Like had he been available like in the off season, maybe it's a more likely time. Just given some of the players that were sort of, rumored to be in there like the, I don't think Gavin Lux was ever like the Dodgers would have ever traded him in a Juan Soto deal but maybe that's more in the discussion if it's in the offseason or whatever mm -hmm. I, I but it was just it, it just didn't happen um but so their their trade deadline ended up being pretty weird they they traded for one arm Chris Martin and and then they tr they traded for one bat uh Joey Gallo who was like stinking it up in New York and you're like what is going on like but and then they also traded away like three different players to clear forty man spots be, because they have like like uh, a dozen pitchers or it wasn't that many but they had a lot on the sixty day injured list who are sort of all in this various stage of possibly coming back so they had to clear a little bit of room to do that but it was very it was a very weird like no nah, this is kind of our team although part of it like they have it they had a big lead they're you know they're pretty much guaranteed to buy unless they absolutely collapse, like in the Cardinals go crazy or something. But like, I sort of get it in one way, but like, I don't know. It just, it felt a little weird, but at the same time, like I don't, I think they were, they acted like a team that didn't have to, they didn't, if they saw the cost was like too high, they're just like, nah, we're good. <laughs> you know, like that kind of a thing. But uh, yeah. It's gonna, yeah. What's interesting about that is I think that all three of the Mets moves that I've talked about before, Ruff, Naquin, and uh, Vogelbach, I think they all, maybe aside from Naquin, I think they all overpaid slightly for that. Yeah. But the thing they needed the most was they needed a lefty reliever, and they didn't acquire one. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think it says a lot about, like, I, I was thinking they were going to get Andrew Chafin. Because yeah. Chafin is he's famously unvaccinated. So I thought an American League team is not gonna want him for the playoffs because the Blue Jays were in playoff position at that point. And you know, you don't want to leave a good reliever on the table because he's not vaccinated. Um and so I thought the Mets were a natural fit for him, uh, you know, for that perp for that reason. But he didn't get traded to anybody. So the Dodgers asking price for Chafin must have been really high. But the only reliever the Mets acquired was uh, Michael Givens 
who has been atrocious for the Mets. I mean, just absolutely. You know, he's coming into the game now uh, with a one run down by one in the top of the ninth. And I have a feeling this is going to be a blowout now because Givens has just been so unbelievably terrible. Huh. And so, uh, you know, it's it's just uh, it, it, a weird trade down is exactly the right way to put it. But I also feel like aside from the big swap of, of closers that Milwaukee and um, uh, San Diego did, I don't think as many relief pitchers moved as people maybe were thinking were going to. Yeah. At least not as many as I thought were going to. Yeah, it seemed like there was there were more um I'm trying to think of like oh and that one of those was like the the, the Rockies with Daniel Bard um yes. where yeah. like he he was like clearly like a top 5 like reliever on the trade market and then they're like nah, we're going to keep him and then they at least they signed him rather than like the last couple of years where they didn't they didn't trade story they didn't trade John Gray and then both just left like you know right yeah but so yeah there it was kind of weird i i just i we i put together like a very rough outline of what we were going to talk about and when i put this part in about the trade deadline it made me think like oh this is Joey Gallo's first time back in New York and that's going to be like two days of like just brutal like coverage of that <laughs> i'm not looking uh... forward to that no, I, I, maybe. I don't. I, I, I maybe it's maybe. not like. Yeah. Well, I, I just think that. I, I mean, I think that Joey Gallo is like low key a Mets hero because he shit talked the Yankees on the way out of town. Uh, so, like you know, yeah. I think that for a lot of people, he he did the right thing there. Um, yeah. So maybe it won't be so bad, but it, it's it's certainly gonna be brought up. Um, I, how do you feel about Gallo right now? He's. I mean, he's pretty good. Like he's been, like for the most part, productive. Like. I think so. The they basically it wasn't a one for one trade. They sent Jake Lamb off to Seattle, which is where Jake Lamb's from, and that part of that was like they wanted to clear forty man spot. But Jake Lamb is a career, you know, he's a first baseman, third baseman, or whatever, and they were playing him in the outfield in DH, and he's not an outfielder. Joey Gallo, it, it, you know, he wasn't hitting in New York, but he's an outfielder. He could actually play has yes. a strong arm, all that kind of stuff. So at the very least, they were sort of upgrading that part of it. But, like, he's hit, like, and you know, I, um, since he's come over. Um, and he's been perfectly fine. It was, It's not like a straight platoon or anything, but um, he and Trace Thompson are, are sort of getting a lot of time together. Cody Bellinger's been sitting a little more often, giving Thompson more chances, like, in center. They also have Chris Taylor back. And so it, this is in a weird spot where, and, again, we, we talk about this where you're – you never want to like. Oh, they're they're kind of at full strength on the position player side. They kind of are at this point, um, to the point where Edwin Rios, who was when he tore his hamstring in June, uh, he he had limited playing time, but he he got a little bit of a run there, and he had he had like a streak of home runs, and he was second on the team in home runs when he went on the injured list, and th they had him on a rehab assignment in AAA, and a um, couple weeks ago when he reached 20 days, the maximum you could have. You know, they either have to bring him up, or, so they they activated him from the sixty day DL, but they, or IL, but they didn't have room for him on the roster, so they optioned him. So he'll be up like, uh, I, I would imagine he'll probably be up for Thursday's game because that's September first. He'll be the extra position player, but like it's just weird, like how it kind of works out that way sometimes. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's been pretty good though with Gallup. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that. I, 
you know, I'm always of two minds. I think in one way, the it's hard to play in New York narrative is overplayed. Sure. Uh, and I think that's I think people say it about L.A., Chicago, Boston, sort of any of like the big the bigger cities in the country. You'll hear people say that about the sort of the spotlight being brighter there. And certainly it's brightest in New York. I mean, New York has, you know, something like seven active beat writers at any time, you know, and so that's that's a lot of, of reporters coming to your locker and talking to you. Um, yeah. But I think the Gallo also became a scapegoat for a Yankees team that at the time was either early in the season, they were not producing all that well. And then he was sort of the one guy who wasn't producing that well. Yeah. And so, you know, he just became the, you know, the, the, the problem child in terms of Yank for Yankee fans and, and Yankee media. And I, I don't think he deserved that. Yeah. And it's one of, I don't think it'll be that bad either. I, I'm just, I think I'm just dreading the, that, the, the few like outlier takes that are going to happen. And yes. so just sort of trying to avoid that. But you're right. I think it, I think it, I have never covered a game in New York, but it, it just seems like just by sheer volume that plays into that narrative more than anything. Just because, like you said, there, there's just so many reporters and angles and all this kind of stuff that you're, I think it's just the volume of it that that plays into that more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, so you you mentioned earlier about going to uh, old timers game on on Saturday for the Mets. Um, the Dodgers have, went about I think it was like seventeen years without an old timers day. They brought it back in twenty thirteen, and it was a big deal at the time. And they um, that was also the the first full year of the current like new at the time, new ownership group. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was a thing. And then they had it for like five years. And I remember like Pedro Guerrero was my favorite, uh, player growing up hitter, I guess. And, um, and seeing him there, I think at least two of those years was awesome. Like, like you said, it's just, you, you get like this flood of emotions coming back to seeing those players. It's great. They haven't had it since then. I, I know the last two years was because of pandemic. I don't know why, they didn't do it this year, but they, they haven't done it. They haven't done it again for a while, but uh, what are, what are your thoughts? Let's just, let's just talk about your, your day at old timers day yesterday. Yeah. So uh, the Mets had not done one in 29 years or 20, 28 years, I think, yeah. uh, which is crazy. Like that's, it's a long time to go without doing something like this, but the will ponds are, were like, they were an ownership group that was somehow embarrassed of the Mets history. Like I, it's very hard. They really, I mean, they, the only numbers they ever retired, in their entire tenure there were the two guys who went into the Hall of Fame as Mets, Seaver and Piazza. They never retired on the number in their whole ownership period, which was from the mid eighties wow. through two years ago. You know, um it just wasn't something the team did. And so th they brought back over sixty players for it, guys from the original sixty two Mets all the way to Daniel Murphy and Josh Toley, who are relatively recent Mets, were there as well. Um, Jose Reyes as well. Uh, and you know the, the the ceremony was 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 really nice. What they did something that I thought was really classy. We're like you know Tom Seaver is no longer with us, and so they had Tom Seaver's daughter walk one of the older players out, oh. and so that way they were honoring like Yogi Berra's daughter was there, uh, uh, Gil Hodges' family was there. Like they they really tried to honor like all, most of the important players in Mets history, which was a very cool thing for them to do. Um, you know I, I'm a little upset that david wright did not show up he says he doesn't feel like an old timer yet uh i don't know why jerry kuzman wasn't there kuzman's retired number was retired last season so i don't know why kuzman maybe he's not in good health i'm not really sure 
And the only other person that I was really bummed about was I am a huge R.A. Dickey fan. Yeah. And Dickey was not part of the festivities either. Um, But aside from those guys, like almost every player you would expect to be there and then a bunch you didn't expect to be there were all involved. And so that was really cool. And then I I think that the news of the number retirement got out there, but I don't don't think folks are talking enough about the way it happened. So at the end of the ceremony, they showed a video package about Willie Mays. And then they said, you know, Willie Mays started his career in New York and, you know, was brought over in 72 and played the last year and a half of his career as a Met. And Joan Payson, the Mets original owner, had said to him when she brought him over that you'll be the last player to wear 24 for the Mets. And as soon as you retire, I'll make sure that's the case. And then she died before he retired. And so her her heirs and the Mets leadership never followed through on that. And so... In the middle of the speech, you know, Howie Rose, the Mets radio broadcaster, said basically, you know, she had promised us and it never happened until today. As of today, they will never wear it another 24. And they pulled out the thing and they showed them the number on the field. And, like, nobody knew it was coming except oh, for, I guess, great. his family knew. Uh, but it was not announced beforehand at all. And so the entire stadium was, like, in shock when this happened. Um and it was it was just this beautiful moment. And his son came out and they read a statement that he had written. Apparently, he just had his hip replaced at 91 years old. Yeah. So he wasn't going to get on an airplane and travel, which I totally understand. Um, but, you know, I, this is an interesting conversation. We've been having this conversation in the Amazing Avenue Slack sort of all weekend. And I wanted to get your take on it. So, you know, I think most rational sports fans can recognize that Willie Mays is a player that is so special that certain rules will be bent in celebration of him. Oh, yeah. He only played like 135 games as a Met. And, you know, that's that's not a lot. But he was so important to New York when New when the Giants were here. And it's important to New York baseball in general that I feel like um, I I feel like it's a totally rational move to retire his number. And a lot of folks are pointing out that they feel that L.A. and San Francisco fans, although they, they obviously know the Brooklyn and New York teams, don't feel a real connection to those New York teams because it was so long ago across the country, etc., where New York National League fans maybe have more, not more ownership of it. I don't want to say that. It's, I don't mean that. But just yeah. sort of a more of an emotional tether to sure. those teams. Would you agree with that as a, as a Dodgers fan your whole life? Yes. Uh, and for a couple reasons, isn't one like, so I've never been to city field. Uh, I've only been to New York once in my life and it was outside of the baseball season. I took a tour where I saw Yankee stadium for, I think it was the boat tour or whatever, but okay. um, <laughs> so I didn't, I haven't won a game, but doesn't, aren't the entrances to like city field, like basically like Dodgers and giants related like or something like that. Like, so the, the the main rotunda is called the Jackie Robinson rotunda, yeah. and it has a giant number forty two statue there. The colors of the seats are green because the Polo Grounds seats were green. Yeah. Um. It, the Mets colors blue and orange, blue from the Dodgers, orange from the Giants. Like that's sure. you know that is just that's a part of our history as a as a franchise. Yeah. No, I I get it. But the the other the main reason is so the Dodgers are they have like a, a weird policy where they, they only retire uh, hall of famers. So mm-hmm. um, they still haven't retired Mike Piazza's number, which is a, a separate issue from this, but like 
I think that's because they're they're both in a pissing contest and they have been for years, uh, both Piazza and the organization. But so I, I just think they have to like work that out before that happens, and who knows if it's going to happen. But um, the Dodgers, my my one of my main bugaboos for the Dodgers is um, they nobody's worn thirty four since Fernando Valenzuela left the team in like nineteen ninety one, and they haven't retired the number. So they've they've retired the number like by not u- using it, but without giving the man the honor, right? So which is, right. which is bizarre. But um, another thing, if you if if you're going by just Hall of Famers, the Dodgers have a number of Brooklyn Hall of Famers like who aren't on their Ring of Honor, and mostly because they didn't wear uniform numbers, right? So like right. they <laughs> should they should have plaques for like Dazzy Vance and Zach Wheat and a lot of those guys like. Those should be also honored because, yeah, there is – they do a really good job in terms of, like, um, linking back to the past. Like, Don Newcomb was a, a mainstay with the Dodgers the last few years up to his death. Like, he was always around Dodger Stadium. He, he always did events and things like that. And he – his ties were to Brooklyn, like, in terms of playing days. So, right, um, right. like, they, they, uh, they obviously, like, recognize that, but – in terms of like official recognition, I do think they could do a lot better in at the very least, like it just educates fans about who those players were. Cause like nobody knows. And not that, not that everyone has to know who Zach weed is you know, or whatever, but at least like acknowledge it. Like I, I watch tigers games and all their numbers are like out on that brick in the outfield, like the right, brick wall. Right. And, but like, for old players like Ty Cobb, it just says Cobb because he never wore a uniform number, right? Like so, um, so yeah, it's just they should they should do a better job. So like in that regard, I, I absolutely agree that the the Mets do a better job. Of, like um, well, I, I just I just think also like you. so so my dad grew up a New York Giants fan. Sure. And, you know, he he kept following them in San Francisco, but he could never follow them the way he could in New York. You know, yeah, I took my father in law to old timers game yesterday and he was a he grew up a Dodgers fan. And then when the Dodgers moved away, he became a Mets fan. Like, it's just that I think there's still a enough people for whom those New York National League teams mattered, you know, whether in their in in my life or in the life of the people around me. Like, I, I think that the, the New York sports fans uh, basically, I think it makes total sense to retire Willie Mays' number, and there are oh, some yeah. folks who are, no who are a little bit yeah. mad about it. Uh, you know, we're not mad about it. A lot of folks who don't understand it or think it cheapens the numbers that are already retired. And to me, it's like it's Willie Mays, like you I, know, yeah, like there, like you, for the reasons you mentioned. But even if, even if, um, you sort of ignore just that part of it. He, so Willie met Willie Mays, <laughs> Willie Metz. I almost said, um, <laughs> oh, Willie Willie Mays is like at worst like a top 10 player all time and he's right, prob- exactly, probably yeah. very clearly like top three or one you know or whatever right yeah and, yeah and like so you like you said you, you do bend the rules i think in that situation but also he went to the world series with the mets he was really yep. good despite being in his 40s um mm-hmm. uh and like the connection to new york uh is obvious so like why not right like yeah, I think I think there's it doesn't have to be like a hard and fast rule of like play here for X amount of years or Hall of Fame or anything like that. I think different organizations have different like um, 
you know, histories. And like, if you're, if, as long as you're like connected to it, I think it's, it's great. So like, I think more of that would be great. Yeah. And I think it also just shows that Steve Cohen cares about both the, the Mets, like the written history and the unwritten history, unspoken history, you know, the things yeah. that the, the sort of the, the tendrils in the background and all of that. And, you know, just the fact that, that he's willing to, just also bring Willie Mays back in the fold. Like I, I know that the San Francisco Giants have Willie Mays there all the time, and that's great. Sure, he should be. That's very important. But but Willie Mays does matter to the Mets. Yeah, and like I don't, I I don't think he was at the opening of City Field when they brought back like most of their history. I don't think Willie Mays was there. And like maybe maybe they asked him and he said no. But it just seems to me like let's let's make sure we're, that we're honoring, especially while he's still alive. Like you know, let let the guy get his flowers while he's still alive. For sure. And like, also, it's one of those where you don't, it doesn't hurt anything to like keep the doors open, right? Like to just, yeah, keep, instead of like closing off, right? Like, nah, he's, he wasn't a real Met, you know, like it doesn't make any sense. There's a, he, he meant a lot to a lot of people uh, while he was with the Mets. And it's great. Like, so why not? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's, that's my yeah. take on him. I was trying to think of, of another player that would be in a similar situation and I, and I really can't think of one i i guess like maybe you could say if the tampa bay rays retired wade boggs's number because boggs ended his career there and like you know famously wanted to go into the hall of fame as a ray because yeah. you didn't want to change you didn't want to pick between the yankees and the red sox like maybe maybe that's the closest comparison i can think of yeah or because i guess because he's from tampa i wonder um they you know here you're gonna love this um, the Rays actually did retire Wade Boggs' number. <laughs> there we go. Okay. <laughs> so the, the, it looks like the Rays have only, um, they've retired two, uh, hold on. I'm looking this up. Um, wow. The Rays have only retired two uniform numbers, uh, at, I guess through this year. I don't think they've retired anyone this year outside of Jackie Robinson. Can you name wow. the other one? It, and this person was not a player for the race. So the oh. only right now, the only race player with a number retired is, is Wade Boggs. That's wild. Do you have an idea who the, the non-player is? Um, Non-player. It has to be one of their managers, right? So I was looking at this. Um, I He did not manage the race. He, he <laughs> was... Okay, I'm wait, trying wait. to think. So let's see. So he's, he's not. He, he didn't play for the Rays. He didn't yeah. manage the Rays. Was I, he a coach for the Rays? I don't think so. Um, I, I'm <laughs> reading this. He he may have been, but like one of those only like occasionally type of a thing. Um, like a spring training special instructor. No, no, he was around, but I don't think he was actually a, a in uniform coach. Um, they, I will say is this is. Um, he spent the last eleven years of his life as a Rays senior advisor. Uh, I have no idea who is it. Don Zimmer. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. When, when he had the, when, he, when he had his falling out with the Yankees, I think he went over to Tampa. Yeah, I think that, that probably makes sense. But yeah, but that's, that's, so Wade Boggs is the only player number retired amazing. by. That's that's the craziest thing I've heard all day. Yeah. 
Well, that, that's as good of a part as any to go out on. <laughs> I suppose a Dodgers so, yeah. Mets preview <laughs> talking about, hey, Don Zimmer played for the Dodgers. So, hey, there's a link. There know. we go. That Yeah, exactly. And I want to say he was a Mets coach at one point, too. That makes sense. He, he was. Actually, he, he might have played the for the Mets. Hmm. I think Don Zimmer Oh, I think he did, Mets. actually. Uh, maybe yeah, after I, the Dodgers came to L.A. and he went back to New York or something because he was in Brooklyn. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. He played for the Mets in 62. Look at that. Wow. Original Met. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, um, I don't know if he, I, I don't know if he came up. I don't know if he started the season with them uh, or if he okay. came over. Um, or it looks like he might have. I think he did start the season with them, and then uh, yeah, he was traded in May. Love it. So yeah, wow, what a see the Dodgers and Mets are linked in so many ways, but uh, they, they really uh, are. Yes, this but has I, been the last time oh, I do want to say. I yeah, do want yeah. to say this: the Mets have a very small lead in the National League East. The Dodgers have a huge lead in the National League West. If you could throw us a couple of wins, I, I, I you know, we're good for it in future seasons or something. But you it, know, we're, we're we're it's like uh, making a down payment for. So wait, how does <laughs> how does that work? So if the Dodgers help the Mets out now, does that is that going to translate into the NLCS? Like you know, if like if they end up playing, <laughs> like how does that work? Uh, or, or is this just that's an, an excellent promise? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't promise the playoffs. The, the playoffs that's, are different. But, that's uh, fair. Yeah, I think, yeah, <laughs> it's a fair regular season trade for regular season trade. Like, do me a solid now. We'll help you out at another time. Exactly, yeah. I love it. Well, yeah. this this has been a wonderful uh, crossover episode between uh, True Blue LA and Amazing Avenue. Yes. Uh, thanks for Hopefully listening. Hopefully this is everybody. an NLCS preview we'll be doing in, a, in a, two months or so, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it very well could be like, uh, like, like right now, they're the one and two seed. I mean, it, it seems like, again, not, you know, I don't know how big into jinxes you are, but it's, I don't believe it, it seems right that they're one, two at this point. Like, yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a great series. It's going to be a fun series. Obviously, terrified of DeGrom. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> no, uh, thanks for listening, everybody, uh, to both sides. Uh, if, if, if I'm new to your ears, I'm sorry. And, uh, Brian usually <laughs> no, makes me no. sound better. He's my he's our producer for the True Blue LA podcast, and he's obviously does no, a great she, job. I, everybody, check out True Blue LA. I, I I love the True Blue LA podcast, and I, I would love them even if I didn't work on them, but I do work on them, so <laughs> it's extra fun. <laughs> yeah, and to all the amazing Avenue folks, uh, have a good series, and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>